Hello? Who's there? Awi, <laughs> Naina. Who's your mom? Egua, who's your dad? Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest Nitsigasun, Ginekoma My name is Amber Dion and I'm from the Kihiwan Cree Nation right here in Treaty Six Territory. I'm a mother, I'm a social worker, and I'm also an assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Hey, hey! <laughs> My English name is Terry Sengens. I'm from Sally Cree Nation, and I am the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Keogh Weston at McEwen University. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the conversations. So welcome to episode number eight. Today we are joined by... <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> no one. So we... Amber and I had an idea to do a Q&A episode with one another. So not sure if we're going to regret this after. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so we have no idea what we are asking each other. I'm kind of scared. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll just go with it. Uh, I, I may decline. <laughs> So let me start. Let me start. Okay. All right. So I, I before Amber showed up, I just jotted down a couple questions for her. Um, so we'll start with the exes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I'll just be crying around. Here. <laughs> uh. God, I don't know what to say. Should I start serious? It's up to you. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. Let's do it. Okay, let me let me start here first. Okay. How will you share with me who your who your role models are in your life? Hmm. Hmm. So one of the things that I've said and I continue to say all the time is that my late grandmother was, was, and always has been a really big role model in my life. Um, I oftentimes will refer to her as my first teacher about, you know, how to, uh, what does it mean to be a good relationships worker or a helper or a social worker? Uh, my grandmother wasn't a trained social worker, um, but she definitely was someone who role modeled um, how to treat people with integrity and respect. Uh, I was actually talking about her yesterday and I was saying, here she was, this woman, this tiny little woman who had eight of her 10 kids removed from her all at once and sent to residential school. She could have been a hateful, rageful mm -hmm. person. She would have had every right to be that person and she wasn't. She was calm and kind and gentle, and she was very graceful. She was a really graceful, graceful woman. And so um, I would say that she uh, always has been one of my role models. She passed away in the year 2000, uh, and I was lucky enough to have her in my life for as long as I did. Um, I would also say that, uh, and you've mentioned this, you've talked about this before, but I would say that my sister's... Um, were some of my biggest and are still some of my biggest mm -hmm. role models. I remember when we were young, when I was young, 
my parents used to come up to Edmonton every weekend because my sisters were out here going to university. And uh, they all had, like they, my sister, my late sister Nadine and my sister Desiree had their babies a week apart. And they were in university while having babies. And we used to come up here on the weekend to visit and my mom and dad would stock up. They'd go buy cases of formula and pampers <laughs> and just go stock up their houses because they wanted them to stay in school. And um, so when I was in university and having babies, I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. I knew I could do it because I saw my sisters do it. Yeah. And I knew I could do it because, um, you know, I had my parents' support as well. So I'd say that my sisters... Um, and of course my parents, like my mom is like, my mom's freaking right deadly. Like she's seriously like one of those people who she does it all, all mm-hmm. of the time. Like she's, she doesn't always feel well. She, you know, has some physical ailments and that one, she'll come into my house and freaking do my laundry. <laughs> and she does, she starts cleaning right away. We all our moms do that. Yes. But, but I know that like. And I know that my mom will do that for me. And I'm so lucky to still have a mom. And I'm lucky to have a mom who shows me that she loves me and supports me in that way. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, she knows. Like, she she knows when I'm overwhelmed. And she'll just yeah. be like, hey. And she'll get my kids in gear. And she's like, hey, guys, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, and, and just the support that she's given me throughout my life uh, in relation to to uh, education and I'll tell a quick story when I was like frick I must have been about 12 and I was the only native kid at that time in in Elk Point school predominantly Ukrainian school right and uh I caught the bus with my friend Pam Pam Veer and we're going out to her acreage and it was my first time being on a bus like with predominantly white kids right um and these kids specifically. So we're on this bus going out to this acreage and this boy, uh, I'm going to name drop. They were the Pinder boys. <laughs> they were sitting in the back of the bus and one of them came up and tapped my shoulder and said he had squad germs. And so he was running around the bus and he was tapping all the other boys and the girls and saying, oh, you have dirty squad germs. And they were going, ooh, 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 ooh. and they were doing this going up and down the aisle. And I didn't want to cry. I was real, like, I tried to be real solid and I didn't want to cry. And then my friend Pam, who was sitting next to me, said, don't say anything, don't say anything. So we got off the bus. She had a real long driveway. So we got off the bus and I started to cry. And then right when I got inside, Pam's mom was like, what happened? Like, what's going on? So Pam told her and she called my mom right away. Mm -hmm. So my mom came flying over to Pam's place to pick me up. And back then we had one of those station wagons that had the wood paneling. Oh, called it the snagging wagon boy. Oh, the boys we snagged. I have, I have those stories too. Uh, and uh, and my mom picked me up, and we're she we she was just flying down that dirt road, and she was mad. I could tell she was mad. And she I looked. She was she was looking at me, and I was looking out the window, and she said, "My girl, you don't ever use your fists." You don't fight like that. You don't use your fists. You go out and get your education and that's how you're going to fight back. Mm. And I'll never forget that. At that time, I didn't know what she meant. At that time, I was like, okay, sure, mom, you know, I get it now. I get it now, you know? And so I think that, again, my mom's words have stayed in my head. My my grandmother and my sisters 
and just seeing these really powerful women in my life mm -hmm. um, do what they do has really has really been uh, awesome role modeling. I so. love that story. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that story hmm. before. Hmm. I would have fought. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been that kid on the bus fighting. <laughs> you would have been the one. This time it probably take all those boys down too, man. Take them all down. And it's interesting that you asked me that question because one of the, the one of the questions that I wrote down before you asked me was what or who inspires you? You know, because again I see you as this and for those of you who haven't met Terry and been around Terry, she's, she's a powerhouse. She's, she's a force to be reckoned with, like for real. And I mean that in a very respectful way. And so what inspires you or who inspires you? If it's not a being, a, a person, like what, what, what inspires you? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think, again, I, I think my, my response would go back to my family. Uh, definitely my parents, uh, my siblings, um, and also my grandparents. Like I went in the episode that we did with Clarice, you know, she had shared that story about my mom and just her, how hard she worked, um, in, you know, getting her education, um, and, and really instilling that in us. And then I think about, you know, our father who is, uh, you know, a residential school survivor, but, also remained in some sense connected to the culture and mm -hmm. our teachings and the language which was equally important and so i have been blessed too as well to have both of those pieces uh in my life growing up but you know my sister definitely i think like my older siblings uh evan and clarice are much, much older than me and Joel. <laughs> like a lot, a lot older. <laughs> Just ancient. <laughs> and so, you know, they have definitely really paved that path for us. And we looked up to them mm -hmm. because they were much older. And so we watched, you know, the things that they, they did. We watched the mistakes that they made as well. Mm -hmm. And we learned from that. And, uh, you know, it was like you said, you seen that your sisters went to university mm -hmm. and, uh, that they had children while they're in university. And, and when that happened for you, you knew that you were able to get through that and do that as well. Um, and so for, for me, it was a no-brainer that I had to go to post-secondary because I, I watched my sister do that as well. So definitely, um, you know, now in the work that I do, I'm inspired from my children. I think when you become a mom, I was just telling uh, Keiston yesterday at his farewell um, that... He just turned 28 as well. So his, it was his birthday and his farewell yesterday. And I said, and he, and I was asking him questions. So how, what does it feel like to be 28? You know, what, what are your goals for this year? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, 28 is life changing. I don't know. 28 was life changing for me. I became a mom at 28 
and uh, changed my life completely changed my life in so many different ways and you know where I focused what I was going to do making some really um, big decisions in in um, my own education as well so my children definitely inspire me and you know now I, I have such an amazing sisterhood of women that support me like yourself you know mm -hmm. we've been friends for over 10 years and have supported each other um, through so many things through mm -hmm. losses through breakups <laughs> through just and and have you know been together in that sense in in so many different capacities whether that's in um in our work that we mm -hmm. do with one another and so uh to our listeners uh amber and i have worked together uh for many years in different capacities even in community and so we can't leave each other alone <laughs> but we also have other sisters and adopted sisters and um some amazing group of friends who really uh build us up mm -hmm. and support us and who love us mm -hmm. and who are kind and and have their own gifts in so many different areas that you know that definitely inspires me as well so awesome all right, let's get to some. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's get to some childhood trauma here. I want to ask this question, and I think it's important, and and I kind of have an assumption of where you may go with this, but maybe not. Um, to share with our listeners about a spiritual experience that may have um, changed or impacted your life in some way. Hmm. And maybe like, and whether that was in ceremony, um, <laughs> and that could have come from anything. So I'm thinking of two, like two came to my mind right away. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, the first being that, um, and I wrote about this recently, so uh, I contributed to a, a chapter in a book and um, I talk in that, in that chapter about my, uh, my first time sun dancing. What's the book called? So our listeners know. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll say it after. It's a long Cree uh, word. It's a long Cree word. <laughs> it's called Growing a Child in English. Uh, edited by uh, Ralph Boder, uh, Stephanie Tyler, Avery uh, Calhoun, and uh, Leona Makokis. Um, but yeah, so in I wrote about this, and and the story is 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 short in the sense that I I had been going through what I would have called one of the darkest times in in my adulthood, and um, me and my kids um, were going through a really difficult time. And there was a lot of different things that I was involved in at that time. I was involved in therapy and et cetera. And, and, and like, you know, I mean, when my dad uh, stopped drinking when I was seven, we started going to ceremony, right? When my dad <clears throat> stopped drinking, that's, that was his response as he went to ceremony. And so I was raised around Sundance. And uh, I remember my grandmother always saying to us when we were little, like, be careful what you say, be careful what you speak into the universe, because once you say it out loud, you have to follow through, right? And yeah. So I never said I was going to Sundance. Like I spent years just being like, never saying it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but always just going and, and 
you know, listening and being part of and uh, learning the, the roles of the Oscopios or the women who were helping. And so my sister had already Sundanced. And so it was really, it was a really tough year. I called my sister and I said out loud, I'm going to Sundance with you this year. And it was literally like two months before, mm -hmm. right? And we know that there's a process of getting ready and you're supposed to prepare, you know, long before. Um, but I made that quick decision. And so I went to go Sundance with her. And, uh, and I remember, you know, being there. And uh, my 15-year-old, my uh, who was then 10, kept asking me to Sundance with her or with me. And I kept saying no to her. I'm like, no, 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 you're too young. You're too young. And uh, I was worried for her. I was scared for her because I think I was really nervous about my own experience, right? Like what was going to happen in there. Um, and so finally on that last day, I let her. Yeah. And her dad went and helped and got, uh, got what she needed. And so she was in there with me and we were dancing together. And on that last day, I, cr I, was, I just cried. I broke down and I cried and I was down. And uh, I felt her hand on my shoulder and I just felt this real wicked surge of energy. And I looked up at her and she was just giving her like she was dancing real hard. And I looked at her and that stick man came over right away and he's like, Pasco, Pasco, you know, and I was like, okay, okay, okay. But I got up and I danced with her and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget how I think that in that moment, it made it clear to me that no one's ever too young. No one's ever too young to be involved in ceremony or no one's ever too young to experience mm -hmm. ceremony. And, uh, and here I was restricting her, right? And I was trying to stop her because of my fear. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that experience really reminded me that she wasn't too young. She knew what she wanted. She had prayers. She had prints. She knew what she was praying for. She had intent. And it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um. And then it also reminded me that children can pray for parents and those are some of the most powerful prayers, right? Oh my God, yeah. I totally. Think that, I think that, um, as we know, Ella Sundanced for the first time this year, but one of the things, and, 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 I, and I think it's important that we need to share this out loud on the podcast, and you talk about how you decided two months before. And, you know, we know that there is preparation that needs to happen um, but there's also times when we just need to go Yep. and we may not be prepared and we may not have all of the stuff that we need to be in that space. Uh, when I Sundanced, I had two weeks and I went for Clarice because she had been in her accident and made a decision at the hospital that I was going to dance. And I didn't know even what that was going to look like or, you know, the stuff that needed to, um, that I needed to prepare for. And, you know, thankfully I had some women who were able to, um, get me the necessities that I needed for that time. But I think oftentimes, you know, uh, you know, for our listeners or for those who want to Sundance mm -hmm. or be in those lodges and feel like they are, ready in a sense and and have that commitment that they want to make that um that there's no necessarily i think right time or uh, sometimes we're just put into these spaces yep when they're supposed to happen yep and uh and and that that was a reminder and i think that's important mm -hmm. as well 
Yeah. And, and I think that that's, and I appreciate that because I think that that is one of the, I know that there are ancestral and, you know, ancient, you know, teachings around our ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. And I get that. I also know that we have different challenges than we, than we, we have different challenges today than we did, you know, mm-hmm. in our great grandparents' generation or our great, great grandparents' generation. And so some of the things and the reasons why we go into our, why we go and pray or we go into our lodges is because things are urgent or they happen quick and and life is fast, you know, Mm -hmm. and things change really quickly. And I think that that's, I appreciate that because I think one of the things that we can, we can hear sometimes is, you know, if you don't do it this way, then it's not the right way, you know, and, and that can, that can, um, scare people off from engaging and going to ceremony. And I, and I, I'm so thankful that I've had such kind teachers. I mean, I've had some pretty rugged ones too, but (laughs) not going to lie. There's been some pretty rough teachers, but I think the other really cool thing too, and you reminded me of it is when we're sitting in there without going through detail, when we're sitting in there and that first time there was things I forgot. There was things I didn't have. The way women take care of one oh, another, completely. like a woman, six people down. Oh, you need this here, you know, and just handing it down mm-hmm. or, Hey, does anyone have, Oh yeah, I have many, you know? And I remember that time where I was like, I didn't feel like I had everything. The last time I went, the woman sitting next to me was in my exact same shoes, yeah. you know, five years ago. And I was like, Oh, you need that here. And I just brought extra of things and so the woman next to me was like well I don't know what I didn't know I had to bring this I'm like don't worry about it here you know yeah and we see we see us for who we really are Mm -hmm. there you know instead of this lateral violence and you know all this shit you know we see us for who we really are we don't we don't know sometimes the person next to us we have no idea who they are it doesn't matter they're our relative right we humble up we're not a 10. <laughs> <Those lodges. laughs> oh, not a 10 at all. <laughs> yeah. People see you on Facebook and then they see you in the lodge. They're like, oh, oh, that's that's you. Oh, no makeup, no lashes, no eyebrows. Hair real messy. Real messy braids. Not a 10, boy. Not a 10. Opsis. Maybe. Niso. Niso. Maybe. <laughs> Um, I have a question for you. Okay. Oh, you were going to, was there another experience you were going to share? Oh God. I'll probably start bawling my eyes out if I share that one, but I don't know. Maybe it is important. Me and you had a conversation and I know, and I know that we're going to have, uh, we're going to have another episode in the future that really speaks to, um, more about this, but, uh, me and you had a conversation about this just like last week and I was talking about how um about how after I lost my sister uh in March uh, last year I had multiple losses Mm -hmm. afterwards Uh, and and it and it's interesting because I I had a dream before she passed away and in this dream Uh, I dreamt of this grandmother and this grandmother is a very powerful grandmother Mm -hmm. and she came and she cleaned things out. Right. And at that point I didn't know what that dream meant. And, uh, 
And so my sister passed away uh, probably about, I want to say maybe a year after I had that dream, maybe not even a full year. And my sister passed away. And then after that, I just had loss after loss. So I had relationships that left my life, uh, both intimate partner relationship and also um, some other relationships. And, um, and I wondered at that time, like why I was losing so many people, like, you know, and, and not physically, like I, they were still alive, but I lost the relationship. So I was grieving a lot. And, um, and during hunting season, this time last year, um, your cousin, your cousin Charles, he, um, he invited me out to go hunting or to go out. At, he told me we're going hunting. I'm like, when? He's like, at dark. I'm like, what do you mean at dark? It's at dark. You had no idea. No idea. So when we were younger, we used to do like, you know, like me and my male friends used to go out and they used to spotlight and stuff, but I never got out of the vehicle. Like it was just like a fun riding in the back of the truck kind of thing. So Charles is a lot, he's a very avid hunter. And so him and I went out and we went to this bush in Saddle Lake. Like we're driving and I'm like, so how far are we driving in? You know? And he's like, oh, we're going to go for a while here. And he's like, there's this place. And I'm like, okay. And so I just context, like I know Charles. So, I mean, it's not like he was a stranger. So I knew him, but we were driving out. And as we drove, we were driving into this clearing. But before we got to the clearing, he parked his truck. And he looks over at me and he's like, okay. He's like, we're going to go call over here. I'm like, you're going to go call. Sure, yeah. You know, and I'm going to sit in the truck kind of thing, right? He's like, no, I need your help. And he started telling me what my job was. He gave me a light, like a little flashlight. And he's like, you're going to follow me. And he's like, and you know, this is your job. And he explained everything to me. So I'm like, so how far are we going to walk out? And he's like, a little ways. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I already sprayed some stuff here earlier. And, you know, he's telling me everything. And I'm like, okay. And I know how big moose are. I've seen moose. I know how big they are, right? So I'm, I'm like, okay. And I felt my anxiety start to build, like, really fast. And as he's getting out of the truck, and I'm like, okay, so we're doing this. And he's like, yeah, let's go. So to him, it was just this is normal. This is normal, right? This is normal to go out at pitch black. So we go out. I knew we were in a clearing. I could tell that because he had, you know, and I wasn't allowed to put the light on. I knew that. So we go out to this clearing and I'm probably about maybe about five or six steps back from him. And at one point, you know, he was down on his knee and he was doing something. I don't know what he was doing. And then he was started to call. And I'm standing there. Can you and make I, that call? No. <laughs> Can you please? You. You're the one. This one's sending me snaps of her moose calling. Fuck, <laughs> after this, you're going to do it. <laughs> Just got a sore throat from practicing for like three days in a row. <laughs> Real late at night in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> clearing and I felt myself get I was so anxious and he started to call and then every thought that could possibly go on in my mind was there and I remember looking at him like looking at him at one point he couldn't see me I, I was behind him and and I thought to myself I am putting all of my trust in you I am putting 
my life in your hands. Because these moose are in rut. And if they come toward, like if they come running towards us, I, I could die. <laughs> and so I literally was thinking to myself, I'm putting my life in your hands right now. Like I'm putting my life in your hands. And that made me really anxious because I was in a place where I didn't trust men. Mm. I did not trust men at all because of some experiences that I had. And so I started to get more and more anxious. And then he started to call some more. And then I could hear breaking trees. (laughs) And then I could hear Charles whisper to me, think they're coming from or I think it's coming from that way I'm like no it's not it's coming from behind me so then realizing there's probably more than one (laughs) and I don't have a gun just you do so I'm starting to panic and then I really started to think like I don't know if I could trust you can I trust you will you save me if if a moose comes up behind me will you save me (laughs) then I started to pray because it got really quiet because you're not, you can't say anything. Mm-hmm. I couldn't move. I had to stand in one spot because if I would have moved and a leaf would have cracked underneath my foot, that moose would be gone. So I had to stand still. That was the first time in months that I got to stand still. Not only that, here I am with a guy that I know, but I'm trusting him with my life. I don't trust men. I'm standing still because I was parenting, doing everything on autopilot when I was in grief. And then I looked up to the sky and it was so clear that night, Terry. It was so clear. You could see every single star. And I started to pray and I'm like, okay, all right. I'm like, you're going to be okay. And I started to do some of that self-talk. I'm like, you, you can trust him. He's a good shot. You know, like he is, you got to trust him. Trust this man. He will take care of you. And then I looked up to the stars again and I'm like, and then I just started praying to my sister. I'm like, Nadine, I know you're here. I know you're here. And we have teachings about how when our people pass, they travel on the stars. Mm-hmm. And so I started imagining her traveling in the stars. And then I just started to cry. And I had to cry real quiet. I was like, <laughs> and Charles didn't know I was crying. I don't think he knew I was crying at that time, but I had to cry really quiet. So it was a really silent cry. <laughs> but I could feel it in my gut Mm -hmm. and I was crying and I was praying. And that was the first time since my sister passed that I felt connected to her again. And I was just watching the stars and I knew in that moment, I'm going to be taken care of. You know, not only do I have to trust this man, but I also trust my sister. I trust all of creation because I'm really at a place where I am at the mercy of everything else. And so I don't remember how long we stayed out there. It was a lot. It felt like days, but it wasn't. It wasn't that long. And then he said, okay, let's go. And I'm like, okay. So we got back to the truck and I was silent. I was so quiet. He's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good, you know. And then we talked, you know, all the way back to town. And then I messaged him, I think a couple days later. And I'm like, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. I'm like, I don't think you realize how much of a spiritual experience that was for me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I had to completely, like, that was so liberating. And I'm like, and I had to completely let go of everything that I had been hanging on to in that, what, 45 Mm -hmm. minutes? 
And it was one of the most beautiful experiences that I had had. And he didn't know that. He was like, oh, I, I didn't, I, you know, we were just out getting moose, you know? And I'm yeah. like, no, like, you need to know that that was really powerful for me. Yeah. And I felt really connected to my sister. Mm-hmm. And so I've told that story once before. And, and I, and again, I think that that's, that's another story just about, you know, a time where again, I wasn't quote unquote in a lodge or, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't planned, you know, but it became, it became very sacred Mm -hmm. in a very, very short period of time. Uh, we didn't get a moose, um, but I got healed boy. I was just right healed. (laughs) Holy, I just left healed. Just your spiritual experience. Oh, just spirit boy. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, we uh, we went out hunting uh, and calling for moose this past mm-hmm. weekend. And uh, I was with um, my family and uh, and Brute was there, which is Charles's older brother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we went out when it was pitch dark. And we were calling earlier on in the evening, but, you know, we went to a new spot and it got dark and, and, uh, there was, there was five of us and we walked away from the, the vehicles as well. And, uh, <laughs> and then Brute starts calling and he's just, he's deadly, right? Show, like, show me that. <laughs> Do a Brute call. <laughs> just the movements and everything. Holy <laughs> And so he he's calling, and again, like I I remember, you know, in that space, and we're all just kind of lined up, few feet from each other, and it's completely dark, and the stars are out, and it's just such a beautiful, peaceful space. Then you hear the bulls come in, <laughs> right? And at this point, we had I think three bulls come in and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're to my left, to my right and behind me. And, and so then my heart starts beating and I'm like, all right, Terry, you know, are you going to be able to focus once the light goes on? And so I'm trying to, you know, calm myself with deep breathing. And, and then I was like, oh my God, what if, what if, what if, what if, right? What if I miss? What if I I injure the animal and I don't kill it right away? What if, you know, so all these things. And so I start to kind of, again, like my, my heart's racing. And, uh, and then I hear you. <laughs> I, I literally heard you in my head because we had did a podcast interview. Uh, I think it was like two days before. <clears throat> and you had said some really nice things to me about how I was, I was fearless and I wasn't scared of anyone. <laughs> and I heard that mm. and I was like, what? You're Terry. Like you're not, sc- you can't be scared of moose. <laughs> you can't be scared of these bulls. So I'm telling myself that I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I can't be scared right now. You know, I I've done things that are a lot scarier than this. And so I <laughs> literally started to like, calm down and then I started to pray and again like in that space praying and then you know giving thanks and Mm -hmm. giving thanks of gratitude and giving thanks to the land and giving thanks just for life and in silence with my family there and uh and then you hear 
like this this bowl starts making a lot of noise as I'm praying and in water you could hear it in water and uh and then that was it. it then it just went quiet and then obviously it didn't come in um we didn't get a moose um, but you know, those are some of the stories that I think like about our connections as well to the land and mm -hmm. how impactful they are to us. And just so all the listeners know, Terry's other name is T-Bone. <laughs> she calls herself uh Wapigihua Squirrel, but it's actually T-Bone. There's a reason why she has that name, boy. You're T-Bone. <laughs> You're not scared of no moose. <laughs> <laughs> oh you can take on these moose there was oh. only two guns <laughs> oh and like i said for you know for those who maybe don't know the size of a moose or have never been you know out hunting or never had the opportunity to hunt man they they're big they're 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 big <laughs> <laughs> like really big <laughs> so it's it's scary but um i have another question for you or i have a question for you now <clears throat> when we think about you know and i was saying to this to my just some context i was saying to my students i always say to my students who are predominantly non-indigenous students i say to them when you get called deadly as a white person by an indigenous person you're in like that's kind of you're in you know yep. So when we call a muniao or a settler or a white person, when we call them deadly, what do you think that that means? Like, why do, what makes a white person or a settler or a muniao deadly to you? I think for me, it's that it, it's foundational in our relationship with one another. Um, our connection with one another, our respect for one another, um, knowing where um, our role is as well as an Indigenous and non-Indigenous um, person. Uh, I think that um, there's some, and, and not even necessarily, I think that there's some, if I could think of one person and I, I, I think about, you know, telling them that they are deadly, mm -hmm. I think a lot of that comes from the kindness that I see in their heart mm -hmm. and the love that they give and and without expecting anything um, you know there's so much people out there who are doing amazing work and oftentimes too though there's there's an expectation mm -hmm. of this and of course we always want to make sure that we are in um, reciprocal relationships and, and building on that reciprocity. But uh, I think it's in, again, like I think it's based in our relationships with one another and our kindness uh, to one another and our respect to one another. Um, and there's something that's coming to my mind and I wanted to actually have a conversation with you about this. And maybe it was like in a future podcast and it's, evading my mind right now um, and it was around ceremony hmm. and it was around how um, oh my goodness, <laughs> um, our roles within there's a story you once told me hmm. about ceremony and about a non-indigenous person coming into ceremony 
and how um, they knew their role, though, within that ceremony. Yes. They had built their relationships with um, the lodge holder um, in those spaces within that community, had supported that, that elder, um, but knew that like the furthest they would get in that space would be whether there was an escopios and taking care of that fire. Yep. That they themselves would never be at the front as a, as a non-Indigenous person leading those ceremonies. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's the piece around um, understanding our roles mm-hmm. uh, as non-Indigenous allies, as non-Indigenous friends in, um, you know, supporting the work of one another yeah. is, is part of that. And so I think that's a good explanation in a sense of, of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly which story you're talking about. And I, and I think that is, that is a really good example um, about how we have non-Indigenous folks that come into ceremony. Because that's always been a really controversial conversation, right? About, mm-hmm. like, do, you know, Muniawak belong in our ceremonies? You know, do they, um, you know, do they, you know, what roles do they carry, et cetera, right? And, and, and I've had lots of conversations with lots of lodge holders all over the place who have said lots of different things, right? There are some places that are, quote, unquote, just for us. You know, and then there's other places where people are always welcome. Then I hear a combination of those two mm-hmm. things, you know. Um, but it, yeah, I'm going to cut you off. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because <laughs> it popped up in my mind and I was like, hey, I remember uh, going to this this ceremony recently in, in Edmonton. And uh, and I got in there and I was late. And I so I quickly went around to shake hands. And uh, there's our librarian from McEwen, oh, yeah. Lindsay Whitson, <laughs> who is always supportive in the work that we are totally. doing, who is very much connected to us here at the center um, and the work that we do in Indigenous initiatives. But not just that. Mm-hmm. Like, like just to go to a community ceremony and then walk in and then all of a sudden she's sitting there yeah. and, and part of these spaces that, <clears throat> that you don't, you wouldn't necessarily think, right? And so... You know, and so I went home and I, I, uh, I told Lynn and I'm like, oh, well, deadly this chick is. <laughs> right? yes. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, Lindsay, I'm like, I just walk in and she's there. I'm like, yeah. that's so amazing. And that's, again, like we use that term deadly, but yeah. it's so um, nice to see that they are experiencing that and building those connections and going off on their own and building also those external yep. relationships outside of just the yep. connection to the original source, for instance, right? So. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because that, that's what I talk about with, uh, you know, when I, when I talk to my students, I talk about how, you know, ally is not our word. You know, we don't, mm-hmm. ally is not our word, right? Um, we have the word deadly and, and it's, sim- it, they're symbolic, you know, each in their own right, but uh, deadly really speaks to, you know, when I say to you, Lindsay's deadly, you know, you can trust Lindsay mm-hmm. and it speaks to trust in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. That if I, uh, if, if you and I know I was talking to my students and I was saying, yeah, I was linking, I was linking one of our, one of our non-Indigenous colleagues here to my sister, Shana, and my sister is an associate dean over at the University of Alberta. And uh, I was linking uh, someone from here, Amoniawa, to my sister. And all I said in the email was, hey, Shana, linking you to so-and-so, they're right deadly. 
Amber, you know? Mm -hmm. And then my sister knew right away, well, if my sister says she's deadly, then I can trust her. Mm -hmm. And that's all that needed to be said. You know, there didn't need to be a long, you know, written email about, you know, the work that she had done in the community. And so I think that, um, I think that that language that we use, because, you know, and then I have people ask why the word deadly? I'm like, shit, I don't know. I don't know what Indian came up with that, but they need to be credited for it because we use it everywhere, right? <clears throat> so I think it speaks to trust, yeah. which I think is really important. Yeah. yeah. Do we have time for another question or do you have one for me or are we done next? We, we only did two questions. Oh, and how I long think? are we here? Uh, we're oh, 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 oh. oh, you get two Cree chicks talking, boy. This is why we don't do them on our own. Okay, we'll end there. Excellent. Uh, thank you for listening to the first episode that we've done with just Amber and I. Uh, and likely you'll hear more in the future. <laughs> so- two Crees in a pod. Two Crees in a pod. Two Crees in a pod. Tony means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point. Frustrations of a common man. Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land. I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor. Like, what's the use of my kids? Can't taste clean water. A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice. Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice. Remember ancestors' anguish, lightning in our veins. Hear it in the language when they are kitchen for the rain. I am product of people that persevere persecution. Paint me so creator sees me if I go out shooting. Experience our pain when our women disappear daily. Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me. Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me. We move in silence, cover of the night. Learning from the wolves in the forest. Tracking enemies in the woods. Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation. Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptation? Colonization is a hell of a drug. We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love. I said colonization is a hell of a drug. We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love. I said. Two Crees in a Pod.